0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: This is a podcast from the South China Morning Post.
2: Welcome to Eat Drink Asia. I'm Bernice Chan. And I'm Alkira Reinfrank. What are we serving today, Bernice? Well, coming up on the show, we have happened to have a Korean intern with us this summer. And he took us to Koreatown, where we sampled some street food there. And did you know that one of Hong Kong's hottest restaurants right now is Israeli? So I have heard of this place. Is this Francis in Wan Chai? It is Francis. And we talked to the general manager there about why this place is so hot right now. And then we revisit the food challenge. Remember, we got you to try some strange food. This time it's... How
3: could I forget, spinach?
2: <laughs> this time it's cart noodles and we put some interesting ingredients on top, shall we say. But before we get there, it's been one of the biggest weeks on the food calendar with
3: the announcement of the world's 50 best restaurants in Bilbao, Spain on Tuesday. Who
2: were the biggest winners? Well, Osteria Francescana regained top spot. It was knocked off and uh, it knocked off 11 Madison Park and second place, El Celler de Canroca. And these three restaurants kind of, you know, they rotate. It seems like they keep changing spots every year. And the third restaurant is, uh, third spot was Mirazur in France. But there has been a bit of controversy. Uh, when you
3: look at it on paper, this is definitely a bit of a sausage fest. There's a lot of men in there, and there's only I think five women out of fifty. People aren't happy.
2: That's right. It's um, there's a lot of there's some criticism about these awards being very eurocentric. Um, a lot of the restaurants that are awarded um, that are in these the top fifty are in Europe. If not, they serve European cuisine. I think at least 50% of them are in
3: Europe, which is when you're thinking this is the world's 50 best and only one has come from
2: China. That's right. and it's One from ultra- Africa. And uh, the one from China is Ultraviolet by Paul Piret, which is in Shanghai. Yeah, and he's, he's French, I'm assuming by
3: the name. That's right. And then the, the one in Africa is a British chef. So... Uh, how, how are these awards being, I guess
2: assigned? Who's, who's judging them? So basically it's people in the food industry and food writers and it's about 50/50. And it's really a popularity contest. So these people, they go around and they try all these restaurants. And it also depends on the restaurants If they have, you know, some of them have big budgets to you know host these people when they come in. You know, it's not like Michelin where they come in anonymously. These people come in and they recognize them and, you know, they might, you know, pull out the red carpet for them. Mm. And just going back one step, there is a female award that's uh, announced
3: every year. Do you think, is this a slap in the face or is this a, a good way of stepping forward to, you know, the, to bring up the gender imbalance and try and smooth things over a little bit in the industry that's run by men?
2: Yeah, so every year they have this Best Female Chef Award, and it's not just for World's 50 Best. They also do it for Asia's 50 Best. And whenever the the winner from Asia gets it, they all they feel uncomfortable because on the one hand, you know, they're pleased to be recognized, but at the same time, it's like, I'm a chef, just like just like a man. What what makes me different from the guys? Mm. And how did Asia do? Uh, Hong Kong did not so well this year. The only good spot was Julian Royer of Odette, and he was ranked 28th. And actually, we spoke to him last time when he was here in Hong Kong recently. So one of the top restaurants in Hong Kong, Amber, dropped from 24 last year to 56 this year. That's a That's huge. huge drop. 8.5 auto, um, eight auto mezzo, 60 to 93. Another big drop. Another big drop. And Lung King Hing, the Cantonese restaurant at Four Seasons Hong Kong, 71 to number 80 this year. So no Hong Kong restaurants made top 50? No. So it's very disappointing for Hong Kong. So what would be going on
3: right now in these restaurants, especially for places that have dropped 30 ratings?
2: Well, chefs like Richard Ekebis is trying to put on a brave face right now. He's, saying he's from Amber. He's from yep. Amber, and he's trying to say, look, we're, we are trying to be as consistent as possible. There is a lot more competition going around around the world. And Amber is going to go through a renovation in the next few months, and hopefully that will entice people to come back. Do you think uh, chefs live and die by these, by these awards? No, they don't. No, they don't. In the end, um, a lot of them have said it's just about serving the customer. It's not about these awards. The most important thing for them is to have, you know, a full restaurant. And if it's full, why not? Well, we weren't fortunate enough to jet around to all these restaurants. We did have some other good eats and drinks. So first up is one of the hottest restaurants in Hong Kong right now, Francis in Wan Chai. Now, this small restaurant serves Israeli dishes like hummus, grilled halloumi, and my favorite roasted lamb ribs and we talked to the personable James Ward about Francis's winning formula. So in Hong Kong we're total food city and everyone always asks me where have you eaten? What is the hottest restaurant? And I have to say right now the hottest restaurant is Francis. And uh, we're in Francis right now in Wan Chai. And we're here with the co-owner, James Ward. How are you?
1: I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me today.
2: And what makes Francis so successful right now?
1: Well, there's, there's a number of ingredients to a successful restaurant. But um, when starting out, uh, I think the first thing is people. So um, I've been in Hong Kong for seven years. I think I understand the market fairly well these days, um, but I needed a couple of right-hand men. So, um, so how I, did you find them? Well, I I, st- I basically quit my job in uh, January 2017. We opened January 2018, so it was a long, hard slog. Um, and when I when I quit in uh, January, I had nothing. I had no concept. I had no chef. I had no no venue. So.
2: You just knew that you wanted to open something. Uh,
1: look, it was always my dream to open something. Um, I just crept into my thirties, so it was the it was the right time. No baggage. Um, we all know it's it's a tough industry, unsocial hours. Perhaps I was a little bit naive and uh, and jump ship too soon. Um, but you know, here we are now. It's all fallen into place. Um, and look, there's many ways of opening a restaurant, as I said, you know, first and foremost, you, you need a concept. In our case, I had two or three in mind. Um, I interviewed a, a number of chefs, um, and finally I, uh, I decided on, on going with Asher Goldstein. He was, he was in Hong Kong at the time. He was working, he'd been working at 121BC, a little Enateca on Peel Street. Um, funnily enough, he was cooking Italian. We got talking, I, you know, he, and discovered that he was from uh, from Tel Aviv. Uh, I'd just been back from a trip to London, and at the time, Middle Eastern food was very much taking off in, in the city of London. Um, and so I put it to him, "How about we we cook some dishes from your home city?" And uh, it took a few beers to persuade him. But, uh, but, yeah, the rest is history. Um, it then took another six months to find the sites.
2: Yeah, that's, that's like the toughest part of Absolutely. opening a restaurant in Hong Kong, isn't it?
1: It's really tough. And obviously when you're starting out as a, a small potato in this you know, populated city, um, it's very, very difficult. Because generally the venues that you see on the market are the ones that no other operator wants. Um, I was very, very clear that I wanted a space in Wan Chai.
2: Why Wan Chai? Why did you pick um, this
1: district? I think the district has a, you know, a very nice blend of um, commercial and residential. Generally, I would say that those that live here are a little, you know, on the affluent side. Um, young professionals, plenty of disposable income. They enjoy eating, drinking and, and you know, having a good time. So um, it, it was the obvious choice, you know, Central is still a, a, a tough district and some very, very greedy landlords. Prices are not coming down. Um, and, and, you know, my experience from from Central, the weekday, the, the business can be very strong. The weekends, it, it fluctuates somewhat. So. Um, so I said, right, one Chai, here we go. And I, I, I set, my, set my sights on anywhere from Star Street to Stonella And I just walked, I walked the streets every day, snapping, sending to agents, probably saw a 100 venues in, in, in the, you know, seven, eight months. At one point got so desperate, I almost decided going to the other side of uh, Johnston Road, And- uh, Ah, the CD side. The CD side. I'm very glad in hindsight I did not I'm sure that area will will change in the next 10 years. But uh, but it was a little bit of a gamble on the first one. We, I always wanted a a little space of about 50 seats. And Uh, how big is this place? Well, this this place is only about 800 square feet. We squeezed in 32. Um, It still has, it still has the feel of, of what I always wanted to achieve. We wanted something that feels like a bar that has great food so if you come to Francis you can see all the the seating is designed on different levels it's a very it's you know we have a theater kitchen on a raised platform and it's a very visual very interactive space there's a lot happening
2: and then you have some bar space and then some tables
1: exactly so low tables for a slightly more intimate romantic romantic dinner we have the uh, the inside-outside counter for 12 for those that want to be seen and can uh, you know raise their voices and then we have the uh the the bar seating for 10. uh where you know you can get up and close with with the chefs uh, and equally uh okay
2: now the menu what have you got on the menu
1: the menu so um look the beauty about uh, the cuisine of of tel aviv is, is number one not a lot of people know there are no, there are no. I think um, stereotypes. There are no ideals. It's, uh, it's, it's a bit of a melting pot. Um, certainly, influence from the south of Europe. Uh, what well, from North Africa? Yes. Israel itself is, is situated on the west coast of Asia, so um, obviously renowned for a, a, a couple of dishes. Uh, but generally, you know, if you re- if if you mention hummus and falafel, uh, equally if you go to North Africa and Tunisia, or you speak to someone from Lebanon, they will they will equally say they were the they were the pioneers of these dishes. Um, but here at uh, Francis, a very very concise menu of 20 plates, we say bigger than starters, smaller than mains, designed for sharing in the middle of the table. Um, Meze itself, smaller plates designed to uh, to be enjoyed with a drink. So our menu split into meze, vegetables, and and more. More being slightly more protein heavy, protein heavy dishes. Vegetables, obviously. Are a, a core focus on the menu as an entirety. It's, we have about ten vegetarian dishes on the menu.
2: So that was a conscious decision to put a lot of vegetables. Absolutely, yeah.
1: Obviously, these days, um, I think there's what well, you've seen in food trends over the last few years. Healthy eating is uh, has you know certainly been high up on the list. Um, you know, we all like to go out and splash splash out and splurge on a, on a Friday-Saturday, but perhaps on you know a Monday-Tuesday, we want to slightly strip back um, lighter dinner, so um, vegetables was always very, very important to me. Funnily enough, when, when I did the first tasting with Asha, his, uh, his vegetables were the dishes that stood out. He, uh, one of the dishes on the menu now, the, the carrots, which are smoked and roasted with a spiced honey and an almond cream. Um, really really blew me away it's such a it's such a humble ingredient and he's turned it into something that I could eat every day of the week
2: but I have to say your lamb ribs I tell everybody to get the lamb ribs here so good
1: yeah the lamb ribs are very special it's 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 one of one of the five dish you know generally we say if a table of two sit down you should you should order four to five plates the lamb ribs the carrots uh, I, I'm a creature of habit. I want to ensure that every guest has a great experience, so I, I always select, you know, those two under the under the fire.
2: Because the lamb ribs, it's like crunchy on the outside and then just so tender on the inside.
1: Yes. Yeah, so we um uh, we actually slow cook overnight in a, in whey, um, just on a low temperature, about 120 degrees. Um, the secret is is the frying of the lamb ribs. They're actually We've just been discussing healthy eating, so I should, probably shouldn't say this, but we <laughs> caramelized in the deep fryer and uh, finished with an orange glaze, yogurt, and coriander.
2: It's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So who comes to
1: Francis? Who comes to Francis? Um well, look, obviously uh, we're a walk-in venue first and foremost, so it's very difficult night, you know, night by night, the, cre- the demographic changes considerably. But um, something that, we would, I, that I always wanted was to ensure that there was, you know, a, a, a nice mix of, of locals, of uh, expats, and, you know, even tourists. Generally, I would say we're weighted about 60% local, 40% expats. Generally, the locals tend to dine a little bit earlier, and then the expats come later, but the French generally coming on the final seating.
2: <laughs> and you're no reservations policy, so that means first come, first served. How do you handle the crowds?
1: Look, it's I think it's probably operationally our biggest challenge to date. Um, we were we had we had difficulties at the beginning, just because you know we didn't understand how long how long, you know, a, a table would dine in the venue. Now, to have, to have the best experience, and if you opt for our lettuce cook menu, which is chef's tasting of about 10 to 12 plates, generally, that, that experience will last about two hours. Um, so, look, we open the doors... Well, the, sorry, I don't, we don't open the doors. The venue's open all day long, but the a la carte begins from 6 o'clock, Tuesday to Sunday. Um, so there is a mad rush for that first seating. We only have thirty-two, and uh, and then, in essence, tables start to start to come back at about eight, eight fifteen, and then we we can sometimes squeeze in a later seating at 9.45, 10 o'clock. What I would recommend is for diners to come in, you know, parties of one to four. It's uh, it's it's the optimum size for our venue.
2: And drinks, you can't have food at Francis and not have drinks
1: well look the 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 initial when i when i started back in let's roll back you know mid, mid 2016 i really wanted to incorporate wine into the product and actually wine bar was the was the number one concept um hong kong i think you know you have a couple of a couple of wine bars that are, that are established and have done very well but, um, but perhaps they're a little bit too weighted towards a particular country, or you know, perhaps they, you know, focus solely on natural. And, and we all know wine is wine is expensive in Hong Kong. Um, and I, 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 it's not expensive because for us as a consumer, it's it's dear to buy. I think it's years of abuse and people therefore just you know five six seven times mark up on wine so we wanted to do something very affordable but equally we wanted to to really shop around and and buy predominantly from small producers Um, we're lucky enough in Hong Kong there's no tax on on wine therefore there's an abundance of suppliers I think there's 3,000 suppliers in the current market um, yet, generally, with the, the dominance of the big groups who tend to lock in you know, contracts, they, uh, they end up buying from the same you know, dozen suppliers. So you walk, from, you walk through Soho and you'll see the same wine listed on you know, multiple venues. So we really wanted to find a point of difference um, and give value back to the guests. But equally, we wanted to make wine part of the experience. And I think you know, from me personally, I really dislike going to a venue and picking up a menu of 20 pages long because, really, I don't know where to start. And uh, and and you know, your average your average diner has even less uh, less idea where to start. And unless you're guided, it's 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 a challenge in itself. So we wanted to um, to just just do two price points on wine by the bottle so we we've settled on 350 600. so automatically your eyes not dra- drawn to the right hand column you can select your budget and then we can make a recommendation based on that it's a concise list our wine by the glass and uh, half bottle changes uh, every fortnight and then I'll buy the bottle great and uh, that's where uh, I managed uh, to find uh, another partner for the business. I think it's always important to have, you know, skin in the game. It makes us as operators hungry. Um, and I managed to recruit uh, Simone. Uh, he was based in London previously. Uh, obviously of uh, Italian descent, uh, based, born, born and bred in Genoa. Um, and yes, he came back to Hong Kong, and we we shared the same philosophy when it came to wine. And that you know, in terms of Francis, we wanted everyone to be able, every guest to be taking, in essence, half a bottle to accompany their dinner, but at good value. And and, and again, that's that's the basis of, of Francis as a venue. It's getting good people on, good people in the venue, um, and uh, you know, hopefully with the three of The three of us here, the majority of the time. um, It ensures that the execution and consistency is there. Um, Good food and, you know, good value wine.
2: Sounds fantastic, James. And I wish you all the best. Thank
0: you so much.
2: That was
3: James Ward from Francis in One Chai. Now moving on, one of the greatest things about Hong Kong is you can go from Israel to Korea in simply one cab ride or a few
2: MTR stops. And last time we talked about Koreatown, right? So we went to Kimberley Road in Tsimsao-choi to try some Korean food with Hong Kong characteristics. We're on Kimberley Road in Tsimsao-choi on the Kowloon side of Hong Kong and this is where Koreatown is. And I personally don't know that much about Korean food but we've enlisted the help of our intern Cho. He is a student here in Hong Kong studying, he's originally from Seoul, and he's here to help us. Hello!
4: Hello, nice to meet you.
3: So how does Korean food in Hong Kong compare to what you'd eat at home?
4: I would like to say it's not bad, yeah they sold a lot of Korean food here. So if I, if me and my friend would like want to taste some Korean food, we always came here to buy some Korean food and like, like reduce some kind of how to say like, no, nostalgia towards Korea. Yeah, we're enjoying this place. We came here really often.
3: But is it as good as the real thing?
4: Uh, I cannot say it's perfectly identical to what I ate in Korea because it's in Hong Kong. Actually, their main target audience so called is Hong Konger not Korean so I guess they reduce some kind of spice spice level of it and then the taste itself is also like towards to more Hong Kong rather than Korea itself so still I enjoy the food over here yeah.
3: and what are we going to be eating today what are some of the things that Bernice and I have to try while in Koreatown
4: I would like to like uh suggest the most famous Korean food, one of the most famous Korean street food, and so-called modernized food and traditional food, which is tteokbokki and Korean fried chicken, and kimchi-jeon, which is a traditional food of Korea.
2: So where are we gonna go?
4: Okay, we're gonna go to the like, fusion restaurant of Korea, which sells all the Korean alcohol and Korean food. So what we say in Korean is, Which is what? Let's go eat some food.
2: Yeah! (laughs) We're inside one of the restaurants here called Dalian Pocha, and as you can tell from the K pop, we're definitely in a Korean restaurant. So, Cho, what are we gonna order?
4: We were gonna order three signature Korean food. So, first, I would like to order one which is the signature menu of Korean street food so basically it's made of uh, rice cake with a chili sauce on it so it's really loved by many Koreans so I want you to taste the tteokbokki as a first, first dish okay. and second is obviously a Korean fried chicken I guess I guess many like Asian or maybe even from like West countries knows about this Korean fried chicken so I would like to talk some about Korean fried chicken over here so maybe yeah so the last one is like one Korean traditional food which is chon, also known as Korean pancake we actually eat this during our like like Chinese New Year or like Thanksgiving Day those kind of like special national holidays, so-called and also we eat this when we're drinking like drinking alcohol, so.
3: So, wait, wait, wait. is there going to be alcohol today? What are we going to try?
4: <laughs> I guess it should be included because Koreans loves alcohol. They love drinking. Yeah.
3: <laughs> no complaints here. What type of uh, what type of alcohol do you drink in Korea?
4: In Korea, we usually drink soemak, which is the combination of soju and a beer. Yeah. So Korean loves loves to mix around with the food, so they even mix the alcohol. So. Because Soju is quite strong. Yeah, actually it tastes a bit of strong alcohol. So we mix beer so that it can reduce the smell and the taste of alcohol.
3: So unlike other restaurants, at the Korean restaurant, we've just been given I don't know like eating hardware almost. It looks like we're going camping. We've got a a portable little stove in front of us uh, with a with a pot on top, almost like a hot pot. We've got four bowls, four glass cups for beer. We've got four steel mugs, I guess. They really look like camping mugs, and this is just for a casual lunch. Oh, yum. The chicken, the very crispy chicken has come. So we've got all of our yeah. all of our delicious delicious food in front of us. What to our left we've got a beautiful hot pot looking soup. what's this one?
4: This is Tobookki. which is the Korean street food.
3: So
2: we've got mussels, clams, we've got dried tofu, the rice cake, onions, cabbage and leek. Actually and this there's is there's an egg underneath too. This is fish
4: ball, not the ball, Yeah.
2: Fish ball and then 15. we have instant noodles on top.
3: Mm-hmm. And then we've also been given a couple of side dishes, which is very common and in Korea I think I ate my weight in side dishes. We've got kimchi, some corn and some pickles. Well, We've actually got pickles as well as some as, as some other garnish. We've got our pancake here, our kimchi jjigae. Kimchi jeon yep.
4: Kimchi Chun. And
3: you can really smell that one already. Like it's almost the this, this sweet and the, the tangy, tanginess of the, the kimchi, and then the what we've all come here for, the ultimate fried chicken. With KFC. Some- <laughs> oh, and we've got some slaw as well. We've been given some some coleslaw yeah, of nice. some sort, plus some. Actually, why? It looks like they've given us some salt on the sides. What's is that normal?
4: Yeah. It's for the Korean fried chicken actually, yeah. So, like before it becomes this popular, the fried chicken, like Koreans usually put that into the honey mustard sauce or salt rather than putting into like those kind of chili sauce they may you might see in Korean drama or by like Korean restaurants. We usually eat the fried chicken with salt or like ketchup or something. I think that's why they give you some salt right over there, yeah.
3: Is it better than American fried chicken?
4: I would say yes.
2: <laughs>
4: because I'm from Korea, yeah. I love the fried chicken here.
2: How, how is it different?
4: I guess the main difference is the size of it, maybe? If I compare the Korean fried chicken versus KFC, the KFC KFC's chicken is a bit smaller than what I ate in Korea. Yeah, I think... The Korean fried chicken tends to have more meat inside compared to the KFC. Yeah, and then the other difference is Korean chicken is more oily. I think. Yeah. If you eat some pieces of Korean fried chicken, your mouth will be full, fully covered with oil. That's why Koreans drink beer with chicken, which washes wash wash off your mouth. Yeah.
3: Very smart idea. We've got our beer here as well, mm-hmm. and we pour soju. and the soju so what's the ratio with the soju beer if
4: you want to mix both mix, mix two together if you want to make alcohol strong you put soju four and then beer six four to six if you want to make it like, like less alcoholic then maybe you put soju two and beer eight yeah so it depends on how you want to how you want it to taste
3: well shall we crack some open Okay. Alright. Uh, soju in first and then beer on top? Yep. How do you say cheese in Korean?
4: Konbe. Konbe. Konbe.
2: Yeah. Like kanpai yeah, or kanbei. Very, very similar.
4: Okay, so before you eat you have to mix it with your chopstick. so basically just put in your chopstick and just
3: mix it i'll drink it straight
2: okay
4: okay one two three three.
2: wow we totally demolished the kfc what do you think
3: it was crunchy it was good it was it was juicy like you said it was quite oily especially Mm. the the drumstick when I put into that it was like oozing oil but not in like a gross way usually I think in western food if you describe something as oily it would be too overbearing but luckily we had our little concoction of soju and beer to help us
2: cut through the the meat so that was good
4: it was nice right?
2: (laughs) so now we have pancake and Mm -hmm. I understand there's different kinds of pancake is that right? yeah so
4: they just Koreans just basically mixed around their side dishes with the pancake so this one here we have is kimchi jeon, which is the pancake with kimchi. And if we put seafood in it, then it will become seafood pancake. So basically there's a lot of types of jeon and it's continuously developing in Korea. So we made like pizza pancake, pizza Korean pancake for like Western people. So this one is this one keep on developing in Korea and that's how it made.
3: Because even here, we had to, to order the original, the normal kimchi pancake We had mm-hmm. to ask for them not to put cheese on it yeah. You would never see, on in the menu it had cheese on top of this You'd never see that back in Korea?
4: I have saw it before, but Korean tends to remove the cheese Because with cheese, I mean Korean eat this pancake because of its crispy oh. texture Yeah, but if they put cheese on it, the crispy texture is gone So we... Maybe only me. I hate putting cheese on this.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: Okay, let's give it a shot. Chicken. Alright, so we have devoured the chicken, the pancake, and we've hooked into this beautiful... How do you pronounce it again? Tokbokki. Tokbokki. And now, there's one last drink we have not tried, and it is... You're shaking it around. What's it called and what's in it?
4: It's called makgeolli, which is a traditional Korean alcohol made with rice. If I'm correct, yeah. If I'm right, yeah. And I'm shaking it because, you know, because this one is made with rice, some kind of rice powder. will may be.
3: It's like it gets stuck, gets stuck at the bottom of the yeah, bottle. Yeah, yeah. It's correct, almost like a correct. sediment is stuck uh-huh. at the bottom, and so you yeah. shake it up a little bit. Mm.
2: So you have to mix it. It's kind of milky in in uh, color.
4: Yeah, it's. If you taste it, you will know it. All
3: right, so let's open it up and, we It's being served in little tin, little. Like it actually looks like camping gear. I'm not joking. I'm not. I'm not just being someone who's never drunk it and is kind of freaking out. This is honestly, it's carbonated, It's white, milky white.
2: Milky white. Yeah, milky thin white. Thin white.
3: It smells kind of yeasty almost, which is not a nice way to describe something. But it's it, it's it's similar to beer, but maybe with a bit more of a, a tang to it. And we've got it in our little cups. Shall we take a sip?
2: So we're just finishing the tteokbokki. Yeah. But you said that the soup is slightly different from what is usually served in Korea. Is that right?
4: Yeah. The soup has to be a bit more thicker. If you if you buy tteokbokki in Korea, it will be served only with the rice cake, the fish ball. Yeah. That that's all you will see on the plate, but if you look at our tteokbokki, there is an egg in it, and maybe it's like like spring onion in it, and some, some leeks, yeah,
3: some clams,
2: mussels, and, and the fish cake. cake.
3: Everything's red. It's got mm. the thick, the thick, slightly spicy sauce, warming. i could maybe not super spicy, but it definitely warms your body when you eat it, right?
4: Yeah, that's why, at the first place, I said that. It is not hundred percent identical to Korean Korean food. So they I think they like make a bit of amendments in order to adapt in Hong Kong culture, maybe? Yeah, in order to make it look a bit more like a hot pot of the Hong Kong. Ah, right. yeah. So okay. that the people can think, oh Topoki is actually uh, like a similar soup. Mm. to hot pot. Yeah, not very different to Chinese culture. Yeah, right. I think that's their point of changing the menu. I mean changing the food, yeah.
2: Cho, thank you so much for taking us here. It's been really fun.
4: Welcome. I would love to like bring more, bring you to more Korean restaurants next time. <laughs>
3: Sounds good. Where's the bingsu at? Let's get some dessert into us.
4: <laughs> if you want to get some Korean dessert, let's go to Seoul next time then.
3: I have to say, Benice, after an afternoon of drinking beer and soju,
2: deadly death. combination. Yeah, deadly
3: combination. I needed to take a very long nap. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but. Which of the foods did you like the most? I loved all three of them. Like, look, no one's going to hate fried chicken. That's always a good time. And it definitely was very juicy. I think, though, if I had to pick one, it would be the kimchi pancakes. They were really thick, full of kimchi, had that tang. And as soon as it hit the table, you could smell
2: the um, fermented cabbage. What about yourself? And it wasn't um, too spicy either. I quite enjoyed that one, too. But I did like the topoki as well. Um, that was my first time having something like that. Kind of as a hot pot, soupy kind of thing. You know what's even better than just having on its own?
3: Dipping the fried chicken in the, into the toboki.
2: No it, way. Did you
3: see me do that? It's really good. Why is that good? Because it's it's just like the fried the fried chicken, crunchy chicken, they dip into some spicy sauce. It's bringing out some American something in me. I don't know. I feel like it's a strange mixed thing that I've never seen anyone do, but it's delicious. Wow. I guess I have to try that next time.
2: And speaking of street food, there's a lot of different kinds of street food in Hong Kong. And remember we had that food challenge that I wanted to take you on? Trying some pig's blood. Mm, how can I forget that (laughs) so we took you to a cart noodle place in Sham Po and cart noodles is basically a kind of stand that has different kinds of noodles that you can choose from and different kinds of toppings that you can also add on top and so that's where we went to try some pig's blood We're sitting down and we've got three bowls of interesting things in each
3: one. See, I'm quite nervous because you're both kind of smiling at me. I know you ordered some strange things that you know I've definitely never tried before. Yeah,
0: it's not strange in Hong Kong. It's quite common.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So then why are you grinning? (laughs) just because it's your first time. (laughs) So we've got one in particular that we want you to try. And As and you so identified I, earlier, these are these are intestines, yes. mm. beef intestines.
0: I uh, know, uh, pork.
2: pork
3: intestines.
0: Yeah.
2: And and they certainly look like it. They
3: really look like what you would expect intestines.
2: We've got this like russet looking I mean, cube, is this, is this blood? and this is pig's blood. Oh yeah. wow! Called juhong, juhong, mm-hmm.
3: and it's like a little wobbly cube of jelly. It's coagulated
2: pig's blood.
0: Mm. Mm. Oh, uh, hong actually means red in English, but all the uh, we got the pig, the pig, uh, blood, and sometimes with the chicken, chicken blood uh, called called kai hong, and the very famous the Taiwanese the spicy hot pork they have the duck blood. It's really yeah.
2: good. It even even really cam's roast goose they have. Um the, the, the goose blood.
3: It must be must be good then everyone's everyone's got a lot in. of iron. Let's give it a go. So let's go let's go with the um the blood first as an appetizer, okay. shall we?
2: <laughs> it doesn't smell like much. Oh, just in case you're listening, we've got a, a Cantonese Hong Kong drama in the background on the TV screen behind us.
0: Hmm.
3: <laughs> it's um
2: kind of like stick, it like sticks
3: to your teeth in a way. Oh uh, yes? Yeah, it's super kind of sticky, but it breaks down differently to what you think jelly does. Like it's kind
2: of, like a, like a
3: is it shale? The rock? The, 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 the rock that kind of breaks down, but it's very, I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of it's Do you like hearty. the taste? Yeah, it, it's, it's obviously it's quite meaty flavoured, even though it's blood I guess, but it's um... I guess it's what you would picture if some, someone told you it's super, it's full of iron and very hearty, and that's exactly what it is. It kind of like a t- I've only taken a very small bite because I'm obviously a chicken, um, but it definitely like fills your mouth like a big glass of wine almost. So whether or not you like it, it's definitely all up in my grill.
4: <laughs>
2: okay. <laughs> all right. Intestine is next. Yes. All right. yes, Yes. Yes. All right,
0: so it's kind of like brown and, uh,
2: and
0: wrinkly. <laughs> Let's
3: give it a go. Oh, yeah,
2: looks very chewy.
3: Oh, it's yeah. very chewy. Mm. Oh, it tastes good though. It tastes like um.
2: <coughs>
3: yeah, yeah. It yes. Like, it tastes. It kind of tastes like um. Almost like goose. <laughs> a little bit like goose, like the very um, a very strong, rich flavour. But the, tex- yes. the the texture is a little off-putting. It is it's very chewy. I couldn't actually bite through the full thing. Um, you get like a layer of skin that you can pull off on top, but then there's some, not fat, but there's something that's kind of holding the rest of it together that's quite hard to get through. But it, it tastes like a,
0: a gamey meat. Yes, mm-hmm. it's a bit
3: gamey.
0: Yes. Okay. And actually, it's very hard to make it very good because for this you have to wash it very, very clean to uh, so that it won't get a bad taste. Mm-hmm. So that and you have to long time to brace it so that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, nowadays I think not too much store they will sell this one. Because you have a lot of work on uh, cooking this one. Yes. Mm.
2: Okay,
3: I've got one more challenge for you. Alright, what's this one? This yellow This yellow
2: kind of thing. Oh. No, it's actually oh, collagen, you can say that. Yeah. Yeah collagen. <laughs> oh, yeah. it's gonna
3: make my skin really nice. That's yes. right.
2: <laughs> it's pig skin. Pig
3: skin. Mm. I've never seen a pig look like that. <laughs> So it's, it's kind of yellowy, it looks it a lot looks like tripe. It looks spongy. It looks like tripe. It's, it's spongy, it's got these kind of like hollow vessels in it. Um, it's very like wiggly jelly almost, like, a, like the pig's blood. Doesn't smell like much, taste-wise. It's kind of peppery.
2: Mm. Well that's because of the, it's sauce the sauce that it's in. But the texture-wise... Yeah
3: it's not it's not it's a little chewy but it has a bit of a bite but it's not it would not chewy like the intestines it kind of breaks apart i guess do you just eat it for the texture is that why it doesn't really have much of a flavor uh,
0: because i think they uh this kind of the pig skin they um already uh, deep fried it and um. then you brace it so that they make the, the texture a little bit different yes mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: Yeah, it's, it, yeah, it doesn't have a overwhelming flavor or, or texture, but I can imagine now that you said it, it's been fried and now it's been soaked and braised, so it has broken down a little bit so it's quite easy to eat. Good job. <laughs> can we eat the other stuff now? <laughs> yes, we can. <laughs> What else we got? We got some gluten here, which I love. love it? I love gluten. It's kind of like tofu, but it kind yes. of holds its yes. shape a little bit better. But is,
0: it's easy, yeah, easy to find it in the vegetarian shop mm-hmm. in Hong Kong. It's a vessel yeah. for all the yummy flavors yes. and things. That's why and I love this it. This one is a sweet and sour one. Yeah. Say so no. Yeah. <laughs> we, we have different tastes of this one. I think sometimes it's curry. Yes, curry Yes, and this one, the orange one is a sweet wow. and sour one. Mm-hmm. Yes.
3: It really is sweet and sour. It's delicious. It tastes exactly like sweet and sour without the, bloody, the bloodiness of sweet and sour. Mm. Mm. Delicious. I like it. Yeah. I like
0: mm. it they can taste. stock a lot of soup in it and then mm. when you when you eat it, it all the juice is coming coming out. Yeah. Yeah. It,
3: the gluten holds its form a lot better than tofu. It's a much better vessel I think yeah. for, for locking soaking in the flavour. flavour, so, yeah. 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 But it looks like tofu skin at least. Yeah. yeah.
0: I think you love this one because yes, I know you love tofu <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> I love tofu <laughs> now there's other things in there what else are we looking at here we've got an array of colours This
0: another one this is, uh, this one is, um, yes. So you're picking up
3: something that actually looks like some form of meat, like an actual meaty is, that is thing that you would maybe be used to? Mm?
0: Uh, son, uh son. liver. Liv- li- is a oh. liver? Mm-hmm. Is a liver? Yes. Yeah.
3: Just when you thought you were
0: going to get chicken breast or
3: a lamb <laughs> shank, <laughs> yet. but throw it on the liver.
0: The temperature is different. Is it? That's yes. Okay.
3: So it's kinda of, kind of purple, it's quite a dark colour, which makes sense for it being liver. Just tastes like a very like a dark piece of meat that's been kind of braised for a long time. It falls apart quite nicely. A little bit sinewy. Nice and uh, not as scary looking as the the other meats that I've just eaten <laughs>
0: Chicken juice? Chicken juice also. Yes, yeah.
3: Because it, it doesn't taste texture wise it doesn't taste like chicken. Like it's very it's almost like you'd be eating pork or lamb. Maybe it's the colour. The colour is quite dark, it's almost purple. But chicken, I've had chicken gizzards before and usually chicken kind of is a little bit more have it a bit more bite back, but this is really like feels soft. like soft and, and, and melt not melt in your mouth but it's getting to that point. Mm.
0: And how about this one? Look like a little bit transparent also very um full of collagen I was about to say, but i love this one yes you okay, have well you that's tried. my
2: favorite too yes. really what yes. is it this okay so this is... is tendon
3: yeah oh so this is another kind of like gelatin-looking, yeah, gelatin looking gelatinous bouncy thing that i've never seen before yet let alone eaten um and it kind of looks like i don't know what would you
2: it's kind of too like Tube like, slightly transparent, but not, it, well, not it's quite. It's also but... been braised for a while. Yeah, okay. All right. Mm. Um,
0: once again, it's a very jelly like,
3: easily you can tell it's been braised for a very long time. Not much flavor at all to it, it's more about the texture. I don't know how you would.
2: It's supposed to absorb the sauce. It absorbs
3: the sauce a little bit. But it really just breaks down very easily in your mouth. It looks like what you'd expect a tendon to be. (laughs) Never tried it. Um, But it's... um, it looks like the end when you have cartilage on when you're eating, say like yeah. lamb shanks or something, you, when you have the thing at the end, yeah. it's, it's but exactly, but yeah. you can bite through it and it, um, there's no bite back at all. It's quite, um, I don't even, I've, I'm actually lost for words because there's just been so many of these, these <laughs> different meats, cartilages, different things that all are slightly different, slightly the same. I think I'm just very overwhelmed at the moment. <laughs> it's all very different.
2: <laughs> okay, well. We've got three bowls here, and we expect you to finish all of it, okay? Let's give it a red hot go anyway, yes? Akira, okay, I'm trying to teach you to eat like a local, so would you eat cart noodles again? Uh,
3: it was interesting. I would eat it again, but I think I'd have to be a little bit more selective of what I was eating. Why? What What about the stuff that I gave you? Look, you know, thank you for taking me there, <laughs> but it was... Um, it was an experience. I'm not sure I would eat pig's blood again. It, the texture was a little too strange and, and that iron, really bloody flavour was a bit much for me. But what you did sell me on was the sour gluten. Now, that's amazing. That was delicious. I'd eat that every day. Uh, tendon, I know you really love the beef tendon. Uh, that was very rubbery for me. Um, I like – uh, you gave me a few – different types. I think there's some fish in there. I love the fish, but it's definitely a mental thing that I need to get over that I'm eating pig's blood and tendon and intestine.
2: You just got to put it in your mouth and eat it.
3: You know, that's that's something that's simpler than <laughs> said than done. Yeah. Isn't that what the people say? I've done it once, maybe one more time and I'll see how I go. But for now, I'm, I'm happy
2: with what we've done. <laughs> but you're lucky because the gluten that you're talking about, you can get that in many... Chinese vegetarian restaurants. I
3: think I've even seen it with sweet and sour sauce on top. That's right. And that's, you know, anything with sweet and
2: sour is a good time. Right. Right. But I've got another challenge for you. Ready? Yeah, what is it? Well, it's these fruits that you can see in the wet markets right now. They're very prickly and they have a very pungent smell.
3: Oh, durian. Yeah, durian. Have you eaten it before? Yeah, I have eaten it. And I will, maybe more importantly, I've smelt it. It's very smelly, and especially walking around Hong Kong in summer. It just, like, wafts out of these, like, pop-up stores that they have around town. And I have eaten it. And, look, I, when you first bite into it, it's almost this this sensation where you're like, mm, like, I can see why people like this. And then it hits you and you're like, yuck,
2: mm not for me. The, do you like it? What, what aspect <laughs> of it do you not
3: like? No, there's a sweetness to it that's beautiful and, and really almost like a mango where it, it's Super fragrant; it fills your mouth, and then suddenly you taste socks. <laughs> you know, it's it's not what you want, and uh, and I've, I've tried I've tried it as a shaolong bao before, which is really oh, interesting. Wrong, wrong. <laughs> but I'm not. You know, I I can see even in our office, there's so many people. All the Singaporeans, Malaysians, they love it. And I think a lot of the Westerners are thinking, what are you doing? And I don't know if you saw on the news recently, but in Melbourne, in Australia, at a university, a library was vac- evacuated and the firefighters called in because they thought there was a gas leak. Uh, turns out it was a rotting durian in a cupboard.
2: Crazy. Wasted. Mm. It was wasted. But I have to admit myself, like for a very long time, I didn't like durian either. And it was the the texture that really got to me but I tried it again and again and then I would have to say like a year or two ago I finally started enjoying it okay so maybe we can convert you
3: yeah I'll look I'll give it another go I know I'm in for and I really do hope that I come out loving it (laughs) (laughs) so
2: what's next on the show yeah well it's
3: world cup time yeah and a Tex-Mex restaurant in Hong Kong is offering nachos of the world so There's only one thing we need to do, and we need to eat our way around the world via nachos. Oh, my goodness. Are you ready? Am I ready? I love the World Cup. I love nachos. I'm not sure about all these strange toppings, but (laughs) we'll give it a go.
2: All right. So that's all we have for you this week. Tell us what you're eating and let us know on SCMP Facebook or on Twitter. I'm at Beijing Calling, and Alkira is at Alkira Reinfrank. Happy eating!